an interview with television writer Bill Kunstler. Stay tuned. Hello once again, and welcome to the TV series finale podcast for February 9th, 2008. I am your host, Trevor Kimball. If you're a regular listener, thanks very much for joining me once again. And if this is your first time listening, I want you to know that this podcast is part of the TVSeriesFinale.com website, which is devoted to talking about the last episodes of various TV shows, their reunions and revivals. The following interview is part of the Adopt-A-Writer project, in which various TV websites interview members of the Writers Guild to get their perspectives on their work and the current writer's strike. I was fortunate enough to be able to talk with Bill Kunstler. Bill has worked on a dozen television projects over the last 13 years. After working on the Jeff Foxworthy show, he spent a season on Murphy Brown, the hugely popular TV newsroom sitcom of the 1990s that, uh, of course, starred Candace Bergen. And from there, he went on to numerous other short-lived shows like Inside Schwartz, Dag, Quintuplets, Oh Baby, working with talented performers like David Allen Greer, Andy Richter, Delta Burke, Charlie Finn, and Christopher Rich, among others. Bill recently spent over a year on the Fox sitcom The War at Home, which starred Michael Rapoport as an outspoken and prejudiced husband and father of three teens. On first glance, the series might appear to be just a, a crass Fox sitcom, but if you take a closer look, the series actually tackled some tough issues in a wonderfully astute and sensitive way, including homosexuality, uh, alcohol, drugs, a lot of different topics. But despite a loyal core audience, the show was unfortunately canceled in 2007. The series finale ended with the eldest child, Hillary, having finally graduated high school, and her parents, Dave and Vicky, were celebrating until they realized that Vicky's pregnant with yet another child. Anyway, in this interview, Bill talks about working on Murphy Brown, the challenges of working with cancellation crazy networks these days, the lost episode of The War at Home, the end of the sitcom, and what the third season might have held for the show. We also discuss the current writer's strike, how it's affected him personally, why it's so important, and what he's doing to help his fellow writers in his work with United Artists, which is being headed by Tom Cruise and Paula Wagner. But enough of me talking about it. Here now is my interview with Bill Kunstler. Basically, let's let's kind of start at the beginning and... Uh, Tell me, when did you start writing? When did you know that you wanted to become a writer? Oh, I guess those are really two different questions. I, you know, I grew up just loving certain sitcoms like Cheers and Taxi, and they just, uh, I, I never seriously thought about doing it for a living, but I, uh, I think in some fantasy life, I always thought I, it's what I wanted to do. But you know, I went to college with, initially with a business major, and then I just took a playwriting class my second semester, and it was just such an interesting class, and it was, it was, I never really thought about dramatic writing as kind of almost being slightly, like, that, that there was theory, that there was like almost a science to it, that there was a, that right. there was a form. And it, it kind of just combined both, you know, to me, 
it was a great combination of both halves of your brain, and I, I just fell in love with it, and I switched my major to drama, and I, uh, I came out here to go to AFI after uh, I graduated from undergraduate, and I didn't love that. I kind of left after a year, but um, I, that's, this was in 1988 when I was in graduate school out here, and that was <laughs> during the strike then, and I couldn't really <laughs> pursue it, and I was getting antsy, and so I, I, uh, I left, I left uh, Los Angeles, and I moved to New York, and I uh, wrote for an ad agency for three okay. years. And then I came back. You know, I, I, I didn't love that. I wrote a spec episode of Murphy Brown while I was out there and just decided to come out here and try to do this. And I, I, I got lucky. I came out here. I, I got an agent. And, and a couple of months later, I was writing on a show. And a couple of years later, I was writing on Murphy Brown. So it was a, it was a nice story. I, got, I, I definitely got lucky. Did the uh, the episode, the spec script of Murphy Brown, did any of that actually end up working into the to the episodes that you did for Murphy Brown? Uh, no, and you know what? I'm trying to remember why not. I think I think it was because it, you know what? It was a, it was essentially a story where one of the characters had matured beyond the point uh, that the story really made sense. I, sure. I, yeah, it was she was the character was in a different place. Right. At least that's what they told me. <laughs> it, could, it could have been that they just didn't think it was good enough. But uh, well, it's yeah. a good story, so why not? Yeah. I mean, you. How many episodes did you write for Murphy Brown? Three. Uh, three or three or four. I can't remember. I think. Okay. I think three officially. I think I I kind of ghost wrote one of them, and I, I don't know. It's 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 a while ago now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was only on Murphy Brown for one season because there was a change in regime at the end of. Uh, my season, the executive producers I worked for left, and the, the incoming okay. guy kind of brought his own people in. Right, right. That show was actually in its ninth season, I think, by the time you were writing it. And it went, yeah. I think, like 10. Were there any kind of challenges that go with writing for a show that, you know, is almost 200 episodes old? And, and you know, you kind of figure, okay, a lot of the situations have been covered before you. You know... Yes and no. I mean, absolutely. It was incredibly difficult to come up with story ideas I, that hadn't been done or, or, you know, put a fresh spin on things. I mean, I remember just a lot of late nights and and right. oftentimes just what's the next episode going to be and, and really not having it yet. You know, certainly it was hard, but kind of in, in, in retrospect, when you look at the season, I, you know, I was I was proud of it. I, I it's uh it's, it's weird. I've never, I've never been asked that question. So I, I, need to, I need to think about. It. I mean, the simple answer is, yeah, it's definitely harder. I mean, there's 200 right. episodes, episodes before them. But then you, you think about your life, and you know, does your life get any less interesting because you've been living it for, sure. for uh, however many? I don't know how old you are, Trevor. I know for me, you know, there, there's a, there's a new twist and turn uh, every day, and and right. just like and just like real life, you know, obviously. And I don't remember exactly. I think one of the things we did, you know, Lily Tomlin came in that year, and but just, right. just any show, you know, you'll bring in some fresh blood. You'll try to do some some uh, some things in the characters' lives. You know, we, I just had a baby four months ago, and Lord knows that's changed. Okay, sure. Life. Thank you. Um, and so that's what you do. I mean, you look you look for things that that allow these people's lives to kind of uh, change and go in different directions. And uh, hopefully, it, it doesn't. You know, hopefully, if you do it well, it's it's not stale anymore but i think obviously it reaches a point where it shouldn't in theory though should it i mean people live to be 80 90 years old and hopefully their Absolutely. lives being interesting you should be able to take someone from 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 five years old to 80 years old i don't but i i, I guess it's harder than than it sounds 
that could be a very interesting TV series. Right That's going to be what I, I pitch. I'm going to I'm going to pitch uh, I'm going to pitch a show to some network and say the only way you can buy this is if I can have it on the air for 75 years. Yeah, I want a 75 year commitment. Yeah, and, uh, and I'm sure that will work. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. So, what would you say was the first job that you that you got in Hollywood that you kind of felt like you know Wow, I I really made it. I'm really in the television business. Well, probably the very first job, but. Uh, in, in, in a way, the very first job, because there's nothing, nothing is as great as that. You know, my first job was at uh, was at Paramount, and there's just nothing as as great as driving through those 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 famous gates and walking on that this lot and and doing this for the first time. It, it, it's like a dream come true. Right. But probably you know, once that initial awe kind of fades, um, you know, probably Murphy Brown. I mean, that's the first time I worked on a show where really. I was in awe of the star of the show, and, and I really respected the writers. I had worked with them before, right. and uh, and uh, it's it's an amazing feeling to get a you know a behind the scenes view of something. I, I loved that show, you know, at the time it was it was one of my favorite shows. So it's to be able to get a behind the scenes view of something you love every day. You know, what, what people uh, one little example: what people you know, Candace kind of played that character. She, she, it, the warmth and, and that she that she really had as a, as a person really didn't always come through, and that she was kind of a a, a grumpy character, I would say, for a lot right. of the time. What what was so wonderful with her was um, how much she laughed, how much she laughed at other people's lines, how much she laughed at her own lines, how she couldn't get through some of them sometimes, and it was just a great fun thing to see every. Uh, Every Monday morning when we would do when we would do that table read once a week, it was it, I didn't expect it because I, I kind of I didn't think she was going to be a whole lot. I knew she wasn't Murphy Brown, but I didn't think she was right. going to be that much different than the character she played. And it was just it was it was kind of uh, it was kind of fun to see that. Was there any particular challenge or um, or pleasure to write for any of the particular characters on on Murphy Brown that you recall? I know it was a while ago. The, it's probably the hardest one was Jim because you you kind of Going into it, you you, th- you you feel like, well, he's just kind of this stiff character who is a man of principle. And I'm trying to remember the first script I wrote. They, I think that they felt like I wrote him more like Frasier than than Jim. And there's kind mm-hmm. of similarities, kind of an erudite kind of quality to both of the characters. And I, at the time, I didn't see it. And I, I don't know if I, I, I think eventually I, I did okay with it. I did fine with it, but. It was uh, it was a, a nuanced kind of thing that I didn't quite catch, and, and that, but that's for the most part I've worked on new shows, so that was kind of an interesting right. challenge to come in and write for characters that were already established. And I think for the most part, I had, I knew the show so well that it it, it, it wasn't that hard. But for some reason with right. him, it wasn't. I, I I don't know why. I couldn't tell you. Interesting, interesting. Was there anybody that was a particular pleasure to work for that just kind of flowed out of you? Or... To write for? Yeah. Probably most of the Jew characters <laughs> I, I've, <laughs> I've written. Because I, I, uh, I, anyone that was, you know, my grandmother was this the cliched, you know, Jewish grandmother and uh, overbearing. And I wrote for a show, it was probably hardly anyone remembers it, but it was really a cute little show called Oh Baby that was on Lifetime with a great actress named Cynthia Stevenson. And right. um, uh, the other, the woman that played her mother, uh, God, what's her name? Um, Are you thinking of Jessica Walter? Jessica Walter, yes. Okay. Even though the character wasn't Jewish, she sure acted like it. And, and, <laughs> and I remember like three quarters of the way through the run, Bob, the, the executive producer Bob Stevens said, wow, you really, you really have a gift for this character. And I, 
I thought to myself, well, after enduring all the torture from my real grandmother, that a gift could come out of it is still not really satisfying, but at least it's, it's, it's something. Oh, that's great. You've obviously worked on a lot of different shows in your career. Oh, yeah, that's what happens when, when most of them get canceled. <laughs> <laughs> is that is that one of the biggest challenges in television, that, that things just seem to get canceled, kind of blindside you? I mean, especially these days, I would think. Yeah, well, of course it is. It's incredibly difficult to get any kind of foothold these days. I mean, I'm not saying anything. No, I mean, everyone Everyone sees the results. You know, you. I don't know how many, I, I don't know the percentage of shows that survive. It's frustrating because, you know, you end up just being a statistic, but if you're living the statistic and you're there every day and you're seeing the efforts of these people and you're, and you're, you're seeing how funny they are, and in a lot of cases, you know, listen, not everything I've worked on I've loved, but I have loved a lot of it. And it's, it's difficult when you're intimately involved with, something to to see the death of it it's it's more than frustrating it's 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 painful right and, and to, you know to most other people it's just kind of a headline of variety uh, or probably not a headline it's probably on page 50 or whatever uh, right <laughs> whatever you know this show gets canceled it's not such big news but for me it is big news and for the people who work on the show it is big news and you it's it's kind of an interesting part of life there is so much detail and so much effort and all the things that are all around you, if you, if you knew the, you know, the stories and the blood and the sweat that goes into every little piece of light that surrounds you, it would be overwhelming. And right. certainly the stuff I've worked on and, and had the privilege to, to be a part of and an intimate part of, it, it's, uh, it's very tough to, to let it go. You know, some, some things I think don't deserve to go on, unfortunately. For whatever reason, it just isn't right or the, the inspiration just really wasn't true. Right. But things, other things really do, and, and in this age of instant success, you know, we're, it's difficult to get up every morning and after knowing that it doesn't look good and the ratings right. haven't been good and still give as much as you have to give to make something good and to hope that you turn a corner even though you, you, you fear that you're probably not going to. So, sure, you know, the simple answer is sure. Yeah. Are there different challenges working for in different networks? I mean, you've done shows that were on ABC, Fox the old WB. I think I've done every network except, I guess, the new CW. I think. I, I'm pretty sure I've hit every network. No, you know, I don't think about that. I mean, I know that they do. They all, they have their brand, their style. I think some, in some cases, uh, certain networks are a little bit more hands-on than other networks. Certain networks are a little bit more, um, a lot, you know, they, they allow you to do a little bit more to get away with a little bit more uh, as far as, you know, the sensors go and the standards go. Right. So as far as what the, supposedly the, the individual identities that networks have, that's not too tough to, to, to change and adopt your writing to. But sometimes the good part, sometimes the bad part is that some of them are just a little more over your shoulder the whole time and to, to varying degrees. With this, with this last show, The War at Home, Fox was incredibly supportive as far as the content of the show. I don't know how supportive they were. I don't, I don't feel like they really uh, put it in a great time slot. Or Actually, I take it back. They did put it in a good, in, in a good time slot, and I think it did better than actually some of the stuff that they were ultimately end up replacing it with. But it, they didn't promo the show a lot, and that's mm-hmm. frustrating. Um, certainly not to the same degree that they promote a lot of other stuff. So in one sense, they were very supportive because creatively, they really let us do almost whatever we wanted to do. We, we got away with stuff on that show that I couldn't believe, I and mean, we had 
absolutely. I mean, there was there was a lot of things, which which I think is why a lot of people kind of gravitated towards that. Show. Yeah, yeah. Um, listen, in a lot of ways, uh, there a lot of the comedy was silly, and but you know, it was always heartfelt, and it was always it always came from a real place. In, in that sense, Fox was incredibly supportive as far as really giving it a chance and 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 promoting it and, and really taking pride in, in ownership. I don't know if they were supportive as they could have been. Um, and it's you know it's a different story with every network. I I haven't been on a I, I'll take I'll take back. I uh, I did a show called Inside Schwartz, which um, I think if it had the numbers today that it had back then, it would, it would it'd still be on the air. Right. Um, I mean, if, if the numbers I'm sorry, the numbers that it had back then, if, if those numbers sure. today would be the holy grail. Right. You know, and we only held, I don't know what we held sixty percent of Friends, but I think the ensuing shows after Friends did worse a lot worse than we did. Right. So um, they certainly supported it initially, but when we didn't hold you know, 80% of friends, they, you know, they, they jump off the bandwagon pretty quickly. It's, it's uh, network people kind of have to cover their asses. You know, the stuff that, that we as viewers are fed, it's the best show, it's the, it's the hottest new show ever, and then it's gone in three weeks. Yeah. And I think that's, that's one of the things that gets so frustrating for viewers is, you know, okay, I bought the hype, I watched it, and I really liked it, but... You know, for whatever reason, it just didn't catch on fast enough, and and they yank it off the air. Incredible. Yeah, you fast. know, I think I think the, the the good thing that comes out of having a lot more channels and just a lot more uh, people that are producing television, you know, you know, five, six, seven years ago, FX and TBS and all these places that are producing television, they can they're managing to do it at a cost so that they can afford to keep shows on the air to have numbers that may be considered less than stellar or certainly less than stellar when you compare them to numbers from years past. And, right. and so shows like that that have, a, have an audience, you know, they, they have a much better chance of sticking around. Uh, you know, back then, there weren't as many networks and, and stations who put shows on who could afford to keep them on without big numbers. And I think the landscape today is actually better for that. I think with, with with the main networks, not maybe not so much, but but they, listen, they have to they have to adjust too because they're losing, you know, they're losing a lot of their audience. So I think some some shows that uh, the, I, I may be completely contradicting myself, but some shows may survive because they have a you know a, a small but faithful audience. Right. And, and certainly on the on the TBSs and the FXs and the and even HBO and Showtime and you know that their numbers aren't huge for those shows, but. Right. They're well done, and they stick around, and people like them, and 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 they're critically, you know, embraced, and that can keep those kinds of shows on the air on those channels. And it's it's still really tough on the networks, it, it, and it is frustrating. It's frustrating as a writer. I know it's frustrating as a viewer to lose a show that you've invested in because it's you know it's not getting big enough numbers. But they're listen, they're it's a business for them. It's it's yeah. nothing nothing less. Yeah. No, absolutely. And and just what you were saying, you know, on a on a cable station or, or something like HBO, you know, a core audience, it's enough to keep a show going. Yeah. Whereas on the network. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm writing a pilot. Um, uh, with Gavin, Gavin Ballone is my non-writing producer on it. Who's kind of become a villain during the strike. I don't know. <laughs> stuff, but, uh, he's not, actually, he's really, he, he just says what he thinks and he doesn't, he doesn't really call, mean any ill will. Um, he's just kind of editorializing. He's not editorializing. He's, he's kind of calling what he sees. Right. He loves writers. He, he, he just doesn't, you know, he's just saying, well, I think this is what's going to happen and this is what should have happened. It's amazing how many writers hate, I mean, they hated them before, but they, anyway, that's not the point of why I brought him up. He's doing a show on HBO called um, Tell Me You Love Me. And it's numbers, the numbers are not very good. 
but people like it. HBO likes it. I think critically it's done fairly well, and uh, they're they're bringing it back. And I hope you know I'm, I'm writing one. For, I'm writing a pilot for HBO with him, and uh, I, I hope they feel the same way about what I'm doing. So it's it's nice that that exists now because certainly. It didn't exist a lot, you know. The, the, it was the networks, and that was it. So I think for both writers and for viewers, it's a it's an opportunity to uh, not have something you fall in love with go away so quickly. Right. Well, that's that's really kind of an interesting point because, you know, I would think then something like an HBO or a Showtime, where they seem to treat shows really well, you know, for the most part, and give them a chance, you know, they make at least a, a season commitment to a show. Yeah. Um, that that would be far more a place where you as a writer would really want to write for. Absolutely. Listen, I'm, I'm thrilled to death. You know, the, the, the flip side of the coin is when you, when you die, you can't blame it on anything but uh, your own efforts. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. No, absolutely. Absolutely. But you have to, uh, that's, you got to step up. If you're stepping up to the plate, you're stepping up to the plate. And, and that's what it's all about. But especially if you have something that you really believe in, Hey, what better place to, to try and yeah, do it? Well, I really believe in this thing and I guess I'll find out if I'm full of shit or not. <laughs> Um, back to the, if we could talk about War at Home for, for a little bit. Okay. Um, that's a show that, you know, just what you were saying, it might have had a, a small audience, but it was a core audience, and it ran for, what, two seasons? And and just people, you know, we still hear from people who love the show, want it to come back. Hey, let's get a petition going, you know. Yeah, the show I, mean, that, that, I guess that does work. It worked with Jericho, but it didn't seem to work with us. <laughs> <laughs> In terms of that show, because you guys kind of pushed the envelope a little further than, than some shows, were there any particular challenges to kind of know, okay, this is how far we can go, this is, you know, eh, maybe we should step it back a little, anything like that? Yeah, you know, um, in particular, it's kind of a lost episode. I would even let you, I, I don't think I, uh, we didn't get paid for it, so I could probably send it to you if you could put it on your site. Uh, one of the other writers on the show, Claudia Lana, who's just, fantastically funny woman she and i wrote an episode where uh the old the uh the middle child larry um embraces jesus and christianity and his father just absolutely doesn't get it and the the fact that we could have a father character who was a little freaked out and not really happy with his son embracing jesus uh it scared a lot of people Mm -hmm. and we wrote the episode and they ended up um, scrapping it because, I mean, they, they all thought it was very funny, but uh, ultimately they decided, as, as risky as we have been in other episodes, this perhaps, given our situation and we want to come back for a third season, uh, right. maybe it's not this risk is, is – is, is, this one's a little bit too risky. Right. So there, there was an example where we, we, we wanted to push it further, but the powers that be uh, held us back. And I, you know what? I would totally send you that episode. Okay, if you want to put it on your website. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how many Ward Home fans are still out there combing the internet. But, oh, uh, I, you know what? I think you'd be surprised. I think there's yeah. quite a few of them out there. Yeah. Well, if, I, if I can find it, I'm happy to send it to you. Oh, that'd be wonderful. In terms of Ward Home, did you, well, you must have uh, worked on the episode where Kenny came out of the closet. Uh-huh. Was there any planning for that? I mean, was it planned from the beginning? No, it wasn't. It wasn't planned from the beginning. It was. I think we realized, you know, the show in the second season, our ratings weren't quite as as good as they were in the first season. Right. And I think we realized we had a we had a bullet in the chamber there, and we may as well use it. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, if we save it, we may not get a chance to uh, to use it. 
So it was a story, you know, our, the creator of the show, um, Rob Lauderstein, who's just a great guy and a funny guy and, and a good friend of mine, he, um, he is gay and uh, used obviously a lot of his own experience in, in the writing of that episode. And, it, it, you know, at the time we felt like we, we did kind of something special because I don't, know, I don't know if there has been a half hour show where a regular character a regular six, a regular teenage boy character has come out of the closet. I don't think so. Not that I, not that I know of. No. Yeah, we don't, so we kind of felt like we were doing something special and something a little groundbreaking. And um, listen, you know, Rob was nominated for uh, Humanitas, and he's and the show. I think on the strength of that episode, and, and there was a few episodes that dealt with that subject matter, has been nominated for uh, uh, best TV series by uh, Glad. I don't know if you knew that. No, I didn't. No, that's yeah. Great. So um, I, I like to think it was handled in a in a in a in a classy, you know, smart, graceful way. Absolutely. Um, and funny, and it was funny. I I think it's kind of uh, one of those things that the, the character of Dave was, you know, outspoken and crass, and you know, kind of prejudice and and all these kinds of things. But then when push came to shove about somebody that he cared about. You know, he kind of came through for for Kenny and and supported. Yeah, there was there was a um, there was a real effort to 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 make you know his reaction a balanced one, because if you you know he has to be true to the character and he you know he had a lot of prejudices and he he said a lot of obnoxious things and and he did in that in those episodes he you know I I think he used. I can't, I'm trying to remember the exact uh, words, but he may have used the word queen and fairy, and these are, little, these are just little comments that, he, that he's throwing off, but, but when it got right down to it, right. you know, he could make jokes about the cliché of being gay, and he could make jokes about the way a clichéd, you know, red-blooded American male talks about gay people, but it's, he, he did it in a way that, that made it clear that there's, there's kind of a difference, a lot of people wouldn't agree with this, but there's kind of a difference between making general jokes and really then dealing with someone who is actually the thing that you're joking about. Right. And one, the, the first, it's certainly not admirable, but I wouldn't call it hateful either, at least, at least when compared to the way he treated the Kenny character, because at the end of the day, he liked this kid and he truly believed, listen, he, 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 it's, it's not for him. He, 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 you know, homosexuality is something that he, that, that he doesn't really understand at the end of the day. Uh, he liked the kid and live and let live. Right. And as as immature a character he was on a lot of levels, uh, that was a mature stance to take. And it seems simple. And it's to, you know to a lot of us it seems like well of course live and let live. That's the way we should we all should live. Not a lot of a lot of people don't. Right. Absolutely. So for him to do that, I think it was it it, it felt right. It felt like a realistic portrayal of this kind of guy who uh, you know stayed true to his character while still doing the right thing. Right. You know, a key point about the show that, you know, I think if people, you know, just kind of watched it and looked at it briefly, they may not realize that the, the show dealt with something like this and, and dealt with it in a, in a really good way. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, the, it's the thing about having, you know, limited viewership and a million channels to watch. And uh, I, I, I wouldn't, you know, I'm not going to compare our show to All in the Family because you, you can't and it wasn't. But certainly for for a couple episodes there and then for a, a, a lot of moments during those episodes, um, I think we did something that hadn't been done before. And that was a good, that was a good feeling. Absolutely. I, I think you can definitely compare it 
it's obviously a different time frame, and, and you know a lot of water has gone under the bridge since all in the family. Uh, you, you, you know, you can't compare them as a whole body of work, but I think you can compare those. I think you can take those moments and hold them up and say, hey, you know, maybe we we did right by that kind of writing and by that kind of by that kind of uh, effort. Were there any other subjects on that show that you that you ended up dealing with that you were particularly proud of? Let's see here. Yeah, you know, I mean, we we dealt with smoking pot, and I think we did that in a very even-handed way. You know, it wasn't the finger-wagging, and, then, and it also wasn't the, hey, you know, let's all get baked out of our minds. It was, it felt real the way we we, we did it. Um, I'm trying to, you know, we, we had the kids get drunk on one episode, and, and again, I think I think a lot of, a, the, the show took some flack for, sometimes for being a little crass, in, in the tradition of a married with children, and sometimes it, you know sometimes it was, but I I really would challenge anyone to look at the way we handled certain stories and 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 then say well they're not they're not trying something new here they're not trying a different slant on it they're not trying to I mean we really took our own unique experiences you know the the, the episode where all the kids get drunk really it came on one of our consultants Robin um, what's Robin's last name Robin Schiff. <laughs> um, but it actually happened to her, you know. She, she, she. I think babysit some kids, and they all got drunk in the basement. And she dealt with it. Um, we we dealt with a, a, a Larry punch his father in the face, and uh, kind of became a man that day. And that really happened to Rob. So, so these the, the subject matters. I, I don't know. If that's punching your father in the face. I guess that's not like a. A head, you know, it's not like teenage pregnancy or whatever, but it's no, it's not exactly the the episode <laughs> but, of the week. What I'm trying to say is that we we really tried to to, to take g- generic headline subject matters like teenage pregnancy or or teens drinking or smoking pot or uh, and we we tried to infuse them with our own unique experiences. I mean that's what the best shows do, and we we tried to do it, and I think sometimes we were successful, sometimes we weren't, but um, it was it was always our intent. Do you think that there's a possibility that the show could have lasted longer if it was on another network? I mean, when you think of sitcoms on Fox, you kind of get a particular, you know, picture in your head. You know, it's, it's possible. I just, it, you know, who knows? It's every, every network is different. Every network champions certain shows. And who knows if we would have been championed by some, I, you know, it's, it's, I think we were maybe pushed into a certain direction of making it a certain kind of show or at least having a certain kind of veneer um, so that it would fit in on Fox. And then when you kind of looked under all of that, there was more to it than, than some of the other shows that, that people lump into our category. So, yeah, maybe it would have been done, done better on ABC. I don't know. But I don't know. Who knows? Did you have any idea that the show was going to end when you were doing the last episodes? Yeah. You know, we, we, knew, the numbers, we knew the numbers weren't great, and we... You know, we, we, we knew we were on the bubble, so I think, um, I think, I got I came, oh, I, I, I do remember our last episode. Um, yeah, we absolutely did, and I remember our, our showrunner saying, look, if we, if we have another year, we can, we can come back from this, but if not, it's kind of a, uh, it's kind of a fitting way to end the series that, uh, that she was pregnant again after, after this, this lead character has been just counting the days till his, his daughter leaves the house and he's, he has one less child and other ones on the way. So, you know, we, we, and then they we both, had, and then had, they both claim that they, you know, have, uh, he's have a, had a vivisection and, and she's had her tubes tied and then, yeah, actually there, but there's a good example of something that really came from, and listen, the best it comes to, I mean, uh, it wasn't, 
I, I may have come up with that change. I think I did. But the story originated with our creator and his boyfriend, who, uh, when they first started living together, or, or maybe before then, uh, Rob snored, and his boyfriend would wake up and say, my God, you were just snoring awfully. And Rob would say, me, what about you? Now, the truth of the matter is his boyfriend wasn't snoring at all, but he hated to be. Oh, that's great. And, and so when the boyfriend heard it, he said, oh, my God, well, I don't want to bother you with my snoring. I'll get, I'll get the surgery. <laughs> and, and Rob said he would, too. And it was kind of the same story, but we shifted it over to the uh, genitalia area <laughs> right. instead. So when you guys were doing the final episode, if you came back for another year, did you guys give any thoughts to, you know, would Vicky actually be pregnant? Yeah, I think so. I mean, certainly there would have been the, you know, we would have tried to uh, do a, uh, she's considering an abortion episode and put our spin on it. But yeah, I, I think she probably would have had the baby and uh, we would have, it would have been a slight rebirth, no, no pun intended because it's not very good, of uh, you know, having these, these older parents deal with a, a newborn. Any, any plans that, you, that come to mind for the kids, for the other characters that you might have? I think may, we were actually contemplating having the Hillary character become pregnant too and having them both pregnant at the same time. I, I, it was just a thought. Um, I don't think we had really figured out what to do with Larry and, uh, and, the, and the youngest yet. Um, but those, those, were, those were kind of our thoughts as we left. Okay. Anything, anything else that comes to mind about War at Home? Just that it, you know, it, it's one of those experiences where I, I, I loved everyone I worked with, and um, you lament the passing of it. It's like what I talked about earlier. I mean, we, we, we worked hard on it, and uh, it was satisfying. And there are a lot of people that have satisfying jobs that I guess are, that are in less, you know, risky fields, right. and they last a long time. I, I, I wish it had lasted longer because it was really a, it was a joy to work with those people. What are you doing right now? Now you work you work for United Artists Films. Yeah, yeah, I am. It's kind of an interesting thing. I um, a couple of years ago I did Punch Up on a pilot that um, kind of uh, a writer I had worked with a couple of times. His name is Michael Saltzman. Um, he had a pilot with his writing partner, a guy named Jeff Kleeman, who Jeff was a former executive at MGM and then kind of decided to try the writing thing and partnered up with Mike and he did that for three or four years and then he left writing. And went back to being an executive at, uh, and he's at, and the, I think, executive vice president of the production at United Artists. Mm-hmm. So two years ago, I helped them with this pilot for a week, and uh, and then about a you know a month month and a half ago, I got a call from Jeff asking me uh, if I'd like to come, and uh, you know he he liked what I did on that pilot for the week, and if I'd like to come and consult uh, consult for United Artists, and I. Uh, being as I'm on strike and United Artists signed the deal, and I, uh, of course, I, I jumped at it, and it's been Absolutely. it's been fantastic. I mean, I'm really I'm I'm helping them with their movie projects and giving notes, and and uh, we're actually going to maybe try to apply the TV writing process to the film writing process and get a bunch of TV writers in here. Um, this is what, one of the reasons Jeff brought me in was because he wants to try to take advantage of the pool of talent that's out there and not working right now, and also take advantage of the TV writing process and see if we can, you know, write a bunch of movie scripts together. And, uh, you know, just like TV, you you put one name on each script or two names on each script, but you kind of work together on them and table them and 
and uh, I, I'm a little scared about saying, oh, this is on the, I, however we end up doing it, it will, it will conform to WGA guidelines. <laughs> right. But, um, right, of course. But at, to whatever degree we can, we are going to use the TV writing process and, and, uh, and, write, and write some film scripts here. So, and, I'm, and I'm taking pitches from writer friends that I've worked with and really respect, and uh, they're coming in and pitching ideas, and, um, and uh, it's, been, it's been fantastic. It's really been a godsend. That must be really kind of a unique, well, a unique situation in a number of ways. I mean, you're one of the few shops in town that's open, so to speak. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons he brought me in is, is because they they're just a little overwhelmed right now, and he he really feels and he sold Paula Wagner on it, who is Tom uh, Cruise's partner and and heads up the studio, on taking advantage of this pool of talent that's out there, which normally they probably wouldn't be able to take advantage of because right. you know, I was writing my pilot and I was working on another one. And I really wouldn't have time to do something like this, even though it's a great opportunity. And now I can, I, now I ha, and now I'm kind of entrenched a little bit, and and I'm hoping, uh, hoping the relationship will continue, and and we can kind of forge a new way of of uh, writing movies and and use some of this amazing talent and work with some of these amazing people that I've worked with over the years and and bring them over to this side of things. Is it a little strange to know that you know? You're you're where you are working for United Artists, and and as a writer, being able to write, where you know that that so many writers in town, you know, are out on picket lines and and striking, and and it absolutely is, and and I'm I'm doubly guilty because my child was born October 23rd, I think a week before the strike started, and I couldn't go, you know I couldn't get out there right away, right, uh, and I did then I did manage to get out there, and I was out there for a while, and then I got this job. I'm in a position where I'm, I'm, I believe I'm going to be uh, developing uh, additional work for more writers while I'm here. Absolutely. And so, yes, it's one less body, though I'm, I'm still trying to pick it when I can, but it's one less body out there on the lines. Right. But I think I'm drumming up a lot of additional work for a, 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 a number of, of other writers. So I'm, ho- I'm hoping that I'm kind of making up for it in that way. Oh, I, I would think you definitely are. I mean, there's so many people out of work and, and in dire straits because of this. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, trying, to help, I'm trying to help them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, how, how has the writer's strike affected you personally? I mean, obviously, with a new baby in the house, just as the writer's strike was hitting, obviously you had a lot of turmoil in your life all of a sudden. Yeah. You know, I think I've handled things for... Uh, I, I, I saved for something like this. You know, I'm not in financial dire straits, at least not yet. Right. Um, so I wasn't. I'm not, I'm not. I wasn't too freaked out about the money part of it. The, the, the tough part for me, and I think for a lot of people, is that we, you know, the writers are, are writers are maligned often and, and are often kind of. I, I, I think we're pretty important to this process. Oh, absolutely. And well, some people I, think. Of- the most important piece. I mean, I, I would on. say that, but I, you know, I don't want to overstate it. But I, the, the toughest part of this whole thing for me has been how emotional I've gotten, and I got into an argument with my father because he's a businessman from way back, and he, right. I, I really feel that what some of the studios, the, the playbook they follow, and the fact that it's kind of clear that they they were attempting to, to, to recreate. The home video formula, and in right. my mind, really steal billions and billions of dollars from the artists that that provide their product. It was incredibly emotional for me, Absolutely. and I, uh, I think that's the biggest thing I've gone through here. I, I feel really defensive about about the WGA and what we're trying to do, and our leaders who are really standing up, and you know, just they just have 
stung thrown at them from every direction, and I'm just so proud at them for, you know, they knew this was coming. They knew this was part of, of the way the producers, you know, the, the AMPTP, this is the way they play. They try to discredit people, and I, I don't know if they could have seen how bad it was going to be, but I'm so proud of them. And, I mean, I go online, I go on the message boards, and I, I post, and I, I'm just really emotional about this. I really, to me, it's good versus evil. And I know mm -hmm. that's a simplistic way of looking at it, but I, uh, I, I am just shocked at, at, at uh, how, how much our contribution is discounted by, some, by a, a good number of people and how, I don't know how anyone could feel that we don't deserve the tiny little piece of, of additional revenue that the work that we, that, you know, the worlds that we create, that it generates. I don't, it's just shocking to me. So that, I, I, I've just been real emotional about it every day and, and, and reading the headlines, and, and um, it's probably been the biggest thing I've been grappling with. And, and listen, if it keeps going, I will have to deal with the finances, and I'll get even more upset you know, and, and, and emotional about it. Right. But um, right now, that's, that's, been the, that's been kind of the most overwhelming component of it for me. Well, and, you know, to the, to the credit of the Writers Guild and, and to the folly of the producers, I mean, in terms of the ordinary television viewer or, or movie viewer, I think the vast majority of people are totally behind the writers because what the producers are saying doesn't make sense. I mean, on the one hand, they're saying, oh, you know, we're going to telling their stockholders we're going to make so much money off the Internet. And then to the writers, well, you know, there's really, you know, we're really not making anything off the yeah. Internet. You, you know, without going into the details, there are so many things like that where, I, where if you were in a high school debate or a court of law, you would just say to the jury, you could have an IQ of six and clearly see this. You could clearly see what's going on here. And I, I tear my hair out every day I, uh, about it's so obvious to me there are so many things like what you just said that clearly shows the WGA is being right and just and fair here, and the people that we're up against are doing everything they can uh, to, to, you know, to destroy us, really. I mean, yeah. really, it, and so it's, I, I hope that the public feels that way. It's a little worrisome because, you know, part of their playbook, I think, is to pit people against each other, and the below, a lot of below-the-line people, either real ones or fake ones <laughs> that right. they hire, are making it seem like this is all our fault. And, you know, we were forced into this strike. Absolutely. And we really were. And uh, it's, it's difficult to um, keep standing up and, and being proud when a lot of people are kind of spitting at you. And I, 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 I wish we saw more of the public support. I wish we got a bigger taste of it because in this town that's kind of insular, we were taking a lot of flack, and it's tough. That's really interesting because the general feel that I get – Every once in a while, you know, you, you read a comment on some message board or something like, you know, oh, well, I could write better than that or whatever. Right. But essentially, people just want it to be over. But I, I rarely hear anybody throwing it in the faces of uh, the writers. Well, if you, I don't know if you look at, um, and I don't know how many people do look at this stuff, so maybe my, my vision's a little skewed. But if you look at sites like Deadline Hollywood Daily, which is Nikki Fink. Yeah. And um, the Scribe Vibe, which is the the blog that Variety, um, and even Variety themselves. I mean, I, yeah. I really think Variety's reporting has been awfully skewed, and I don't quite understand Absolutely. it. Um, well, I think I think there's very few writers that take out you know full page ads. Oh, well, I, I I understand in theory the nefarious reasoning behind it. Sure, but I don't understand how really I don't understand how people who really call themselves journalists could let those. Let those kinds of see things. it from that point of I view. 
it's, it's yeah. very upsetting. So those are the kind of things I'm looking at where it, it's tough, and I say to myself, what you know, what what planet am I on? How how can these people not see the the very clear facts? It seems to me so. Uh, you can't argue with what, what I, I think I see. But, you know, everyone has the right to their opinion. But it's it's just, if you look at those sites, you'll see what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. and the other side of it is, though, that, you know, again, the writers, they're asking for percentages. So if there is no money being made, you know, um, off the Internet, off of digital downloads or whatever, then the writers are saying i mean it's my understanding the writers are saying okay we'll take no money absolutely we make, we make money when you make money but you know the producers want all of it so that that, that doesn't fit yeah their, yeah their plan as reasonable as we sound they, they don't care they they want all of it so right. it's tough to it's tough to negotiate with with a mindset like that sure do you um do you get any sense i mean there's obviously been a lot of news out you know over the weekend that uh, a deal is around the corner and whatnot. Do you get any sense that, gee, okay, this is real, or or maybe this is? Don't celebrate, don't pop the cork on the champagne before the deal is made, because, you know. Yeah, you know, I think I'm here. I think I'm probably doing what everyone's doing. I, I'm either I'm, I'm optimistically skeptical or skeptically optimistic. Uh, I'll, I'll believe it when I read it. I certainly I'm hopeful, but I'm not hopeful to the degree where. I'm going to feel like last time in November when, when uh, we were told they were going to give us a reasonable deal when we took DVD, DVDs off the table and they gave us nothing. So right. I, you know, you don't, you know, once, once bitten, twice shy. And, and I, 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 uh, I'm, I'm hopeful, but I will not be surprised if this is still a lot of smoke and mirrors. Final thoughts in terms of, of the strike or, or. Um... I hope that I've made a, a, a good case for the writers because in my heart, you know, you can, you can agree with us, you can disagree with us, but we all really feel like we're, we're, we're fighting for our survival and we're fighting for the writers of the future who, who will hopefully benefit from this like, like I benefit from the writers that fought for my health, health benefits and my residuals in the past. So we, I, 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 again, you, you, know, you said that you, you don't see that much of this, but I, I, do seem to, I do read about a lot of below-the-line workers and other people who, for some reason, are really blaming us for this. And even if you blame us for it, I just hope that after hearing me a little bit, you understand that, that, we're, we're, that we feel like this fight is a noble one, that it's, that it's, that it's something we, we truly believe in with our hearts and our souls, and we're not trying to screw anyone. We're just trying to, to get a fair deal. And, well, uh, yeah, and and essentially, I mean the 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 whole future of of the entertainment industry is is you know network television or regular television as we know it, it's going to go away at some point. Yeah, it's all going to change. So, so we we need to. It's really important that we we define our part in this, and it's important that we do it now because we we the lessons in the past have taught us that we we can't trust <laughs> the people we work for to revisit these things. And uh, we have to do it now. We 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 have no choice. And and again, I I, feel, I, I ache for the for the people that have been hurt by the strike. But we we truly had no choice. So no, I, absolutely, absolutely. And and the Screen Actors Guild uh, contracts are coming right down the line. Yeah. So you absolutely. Know. I mean, if we if we don't if we don't make a good deal now, uh, the town's going to be on strike again in a few months. So. Uh, it's listen. We're not we're not the only we're not the only players here. I, we know that. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And absolutely. And 
I mean, whether by uh, whether by plan or by accident, I think it's fortuitous the timing. You know, all these contracts coming up. Yeah. At the same time. Yeah. Well, I I, I hope that we can uh, we can circumvent another another situation like this down the road. I hope we're, I hope that's what we're doing. This interview with Bill took place earlier this week, and as I record this on Saturday, the Writers Guild has announced that a tentative deal has been reached and the membership is expected to meet tonight to discuss it. Hopefully, the deal will work out and the writer's strike will be over in the next week or so. I'd like to thank Bill for his time and honesty in this interview. I had a great time talking with him. And for you War at Home fans... Bill very nicely came through and sent me the Word Home Lost Episode script, and I've posted it on tvseriesfinale.com. If you're a fan of the show, take some time and go over there to read it. It's definitely worth your time. If you'd like to learn more about the Adopt-A-Writer project and various television writers, head on over to adoptawriter.wordpress.com. If you'd like to learn more about the writer's strike, head on over to unitedhollywood.com. And that's going to wrap up this edition of the podcast. As always, I enjoy hearing from you, either your feedback on the podcast or if you have any questions. You can email to podcast at tvseriesfinale.com or leave a message on the voicemail at 213-985-1014. And if you'd like to receive these podcasts automatically, you can, of course, subscribe for free via iTunes or any other podcast subscription software. If you like the show and would like to support it, please feel free to leave a review on iTunes. I hope the new year has been treating you well and that your favorite show is on the air for a long, long time. And if not, well, you know we'll be covering it here and on the TVSeriesFinale.com site. I am your host, Trevor Kimball, and until next time... Stay tuned.